You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Well, I think we can just end service now. I think hearing all the singing and the good news and the mothers and the hoods, very encouraging. Thank you, Missy and Brian and uh, family for just sharing. And uh, I'd forgotten you're from Illinois. That's why I like you. You're from the Midwest. Um, So, but can you hang for a few more minutes? Good. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and do my sermon then. Happy Mother's Day once again. Uh, congratulations, Cora. So happy for, the, for, the, for that family, the Craigs. And I know Dessa's one mother who's very encouraged today. Uh, we love our mothers at South Bay Church, as you can tell. And uh, certainly hope you're encouraged today if you're a mother. Uh, I love the mother of my own children, Mia. Amazing mother. And I also love my own mother. Um, I cannot be with my mother today because she's in my homeland of Iowa where she lives. But I was just reflecting this week on all that I learned from my mom. And, you know, she modeled a lot of great values for me. One of the, one of the I think probably the one that stands out the most is she was very self-sacrificial in her love. Uh, she actually ran a business out of our house, a hair salon business, when we were young kids so that she could be at home with us and make a little extra money for the family. And so that was a sacrifice. I remember also when she bought our first pair of Nikes. I was in the fourth grade with the red swoosh on the side, the white ones. Uh, like Forrest Gump, that was uh, the kind of Nike I had. I was fired up. That was, that was more expensive back in the day. And then I remember a little later when, you know, I was um, uh, taking taekwondo lessons. I had a very brief taekwondo career, Jock, sorry. Uh, the, the dojo dismissed me because I, I, I couldn't swing my legs high enough. Literally, I couldn't swing them high enough. How, how would you move these things? So that didn't last long. But my, but my mom paid for that. She actually made a taekwondo suit for me herself because those things are expensive. Uh, and then later she paid for my braces in high school, thank goodness, so you don't have to see my gnarly teeth. And then she, later on, you know, when I went to college, she, I, I spent my junior year in Spain, and she sent me traveler's checks every once in a while just to get me by. Uh, and then even when I moved to California, when I got out of college, she came out here, she helped me get established. So my mom was a great example of self-sacrificial love. I appreciate her. She's probably listening to our streaming today, so hello, Mom. And today we're continuing our sermon series that we've entitled, A Church Without Walls. And for the last two Sundays, we've seen that God is very much alive and well and working through his church. And we've had the opportunity to hear how the kingdom of God is advancing all over the world, and and actually some of the most difficult parts of the world. Places like the Middle East, places like Juarez, Mexico, places like Tijuana, Mexico, and Cuba. But, you know, as we hear good news coming from our churches in those areas, you know, it's evident and very clear to us that the church is not a building, It's not an auditorium. It's not a building. It's not a place. The church is a people called by Jesus to change the world. The church is a people, and we get to participate. We get to participate in what God is doing in his movement around the world, both locally here in South Bay and globally, as we uh, contribute to our missions contribution coming up here. We do annually um, on June 3rd, which goes to support our churches in the Middle East and in Central and South America. But since it's Mother's Day today, it only makes sense that we focus today on a Bible verse that involves the mother of Jesus. And it's a scripture that I've read many times, but usually I've just breezed past it without really giving it a lot of thought. And it comes from Luke 2. So if you want to be turning your uh, devices there or your Bible there, 
In Luke 2, we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, her husband, bringing their newborn son, Jesus, to the temple to present him to the Lord. And that was the Jewish custom, the Jewish law. And there, that young family met this mysterious man named Simeon. And the interchange that Mary and Joseph have with Simeon is, is to me, as I've meditated on it, it's really one of the most beautiful scenes, I believe, in the entire Bible. And as a mother, I'm sure that Mary remembered this moment, really for the rest of her life. And we're going to go ahead and pick it up in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought, into, brought, in, brought the child Jesus to do what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for, to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's mother and father marveled at what was said about him. So, so really all we know about Simeon is what we read in this very brief passage. We know that he was a righteous and devout Jew living in Jerusalem at the time Jesus was born. We know that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he, he was expecting God to provide a Messiah that would liberate Israel and end their suffering as, as had been prophesied in the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit had, re, had, had revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Savior. So that's what we know. And as, as Simeon holds this baby Jesus in his arms, he shares this extraordinary prophecy with Mary and Joseph. And this prophecy, by many commentators, is often called Simeon's Song. I don't know why it's called Simeon's Song. Maybe he sang these words, I don't know. But Simeon's Song really does give us some amazing insights into who Jesus is and some insights into his kingdom. And so I, saw, I chose a somewhat bizarre uh, but hopefully intriguing title today <laughs> for my sermon. I didn't know how to name this thing. So I called it Kingdoms, Peace, and Piercings. And specifically, I want to explore several questions that I think arise from Simeon's prophecy. First of all, Simeon was clearly looking for a new kingdom. What kingdom are you looking for today? And what do you expect from God? So we'll spend some time on that. Simeon was also able to find peace for his soul. And so, do you have that kind of peace? Do you believe, what do you believe will bring peace to your soul? We'll spend some time on that. And then finally, if Jesus ushered in this new kingdom, what opens the door for, for you to enter it? And what do piercings have to do with that? So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that as well. Let's pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to just uh, have mothers that, that uh, are just great examples of love. And uh, I just uh, really pray that as we... Uh, think about Simeon, we think about what he shared with Mary and Joseph today, that you really give us insights into your son and what he accomplished and what he's all about and, and what it means for us, that we go away strengthened, encouraged to live the life that you want us to live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you likely remember from your history books that at the time Jesus was born, the, Israel was under the Roman Empire, so they were under Roman rule, and for the most of the Jews in Israel, 
There was nothing good that came from being under Roman rule. I mean, it basically meant you were going to be oppressed and it would mean you're going to be heavily taxed. That's basically what it meant to be under the Roman Empire for, the, for Israel. So the Jews were waiting for a political leader. They were waiting for a Messiah who would really lead Israel out of this oppression of the Romans and, and hopefully reestablish Israel as a sovereign nation. And Luke calls that liberation the consolation of Israel. And so the, the political climate when Jesus was born was very tense because people were expecting to be liberated from, from, from Rome. And you could sort of imagine then that, that the Jews would never have guessed that a poor child from Nazareth, this rural city, rural town, would, would be the long-awaited Messiah. Especially a child who was viewed as the illegitimate son of a peasant woman. But Simeon, was, Simeon he was waiting, he was, he was longing for, he was expecting the consolation of Israel, and really all Simeon knew up to this point was that he was going to see the Savior of Israel before he died. And like the rest of the Jews, I'm sure Simeon probably thought that he would see like a warrior king, something more like Braveheart, or like King David, or some sort of warrior that would come and liberate them from the Romans. He certainly probably was not expecting a baby. But even so, the Holy Spirit told Simeon to approach Mary and Joseph in the temple. And when Simeon held the baby in his arms, he finally understood that he was holding the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah from God. And at that point, Simeon knew that God had kept his promise to him. I mean, can you imagine holding the baby in your arms that God had sent, that you knew was going to reconcile mankind with God? I mean, holding a little child that you knew would do that, that would be quite a moment. <laughs> and God had provided a savior for Israel, but it was a savior that Israel did not see coming. So the apostle John, you know, wrote about Jesus in John chapter one. He said he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So even Jesus' own parents marveled at what was being said about him. They were probably quite, I mean, they probably incredulous. They're like, like unbelievable. Like, what is he saying about our kid? Our, that God's salvation and, our ki and his kingdom would come through this child who was born in some obscure corner of Galilee. But that's the nature of God's kingdom. It, it's just not what most people expect. It's not what most people are looking for. Because people come to God, I believe, with all kinds of expectations. You know, maybe they come to God expecting more money. Just give me more money, God. God, take away my pain. Give me freedom from pain. God, give me a husband or a wife or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You know, give me great accomplishments at work or at school or in sports or whatever. You know, give me lots of followers on Twitter or whatever you're involved in there. And all of those are good things. Don't get me wrong, they're good things. But, but God does not promise any of those things. God is not just some cosmic ATM machine that just doles out whatever you think you need. He created us, and he knows much better than you and I do what we really need. And he offers something of infinite value, as we're going to see today. So when Jesus began his ministry, when he grew up, he, the first thing that he preached to the masses with it was that the kingdom of God was near, and that they should repent and believe that good news. And on the surface, the idea of a new kingdom must have been very exciting to the Jews. They were probably like, yes, we're finally going to get rid of these Romans. Get rid of these stupid Romans. 
But an earthly kingdom is not at all what Jesus came to establish. And Jesus introduced a different kind of kingdom. And many who heard Jesus completely misunderstood that. Because God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. In Luke 17, Jesus explained to the Jews that the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, the, Jesus, the Jews, they were looking right at the kingdom of God when they looked at Jesus, but they didn't recognize it even when he was in their midst, because they were looking for the wrong thing. God's kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. And in his kingdom, your heart is transformed. And you're governed by a completely different set of values that look very, very different than the world around you. You know, in God's kingdom, Jesus explained that you're blessed when you're poor. You're blessed when you're mourning. You're blessed when you're meek. You're blessed when you're hungry and merciful and pure in heart and when you're a peacemaker and you're blessed when you're persecuted for taking a stand for Jesus. And let's face it, I don't, many, I don't know many people, I don't think I've ever met anybody actually that's asking God to be sad or poor or hungry or persecuted. God's kingdom is not going to make you more wealthy or more successful in this world. To the contrary, if you really follow Jesus and obey his commands, you should expect to feel very out of place in this world because you don't value what this world values. You know, my 13-year-old son, son, Andy, I'm going to embarrass him, he's here today, uh, but soon to be 14, he turns 14 tomorrow, so say happy birthday to Andy. He is a deep thinker, Andy is, and I have profound spiritual conversations with Andy. And he was recently talking to me about this idea of uh, Jesus' teaching that we should not retaliate when we're wronged. And if you've read Matthew, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you know, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, what should you do? Turn the other cheek and let them hit that cheek as well. And that is a completely absurd concept to a middle schooler. Or to anybody, even grown-ups. That's an absurd concept. How many of the movies that you watch are all about the hero getting revenge? We value revenge in our culture. And so again, Jesus' kingdom is about the heart. And I tried to help Andy see this, that your heart needs to be ready to love people, even people who wrong you. And that requires a drastic change of heart that really only comes from divine intervention. And that's what Jesus does. You know, when you truly have faith in Jesus, your heart changes. And you begin to see beyond this world. And you take comfort in Jesus' promise that, that there is an infinitely better world just around the corner. A world where Jesus is going to make everything new. And where you're going to be with him forever. It's a world where there'll be no more crying or no more pain. And when, and when Jesus has changed your heart, when you've entered his kingdom, this world is no longer your home. And one of my favorite church songs, and we're going to sing it at the end of service today, I, I put in a request for Brian, and it's I'll Fly Away. And I love the lyrics of this song because it says, Some bright morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. To that home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. Join me. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away in the morning when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. I've always wanted to be a song leader, thank you. <laughs> and I promise, 
I promise I'll never do that again. All right, Brian. I'll never do that again. I don't want to infringe on his territory, but I couldn't help myself. But I love this song, My Real Home is in Heaven. It's on God's celestial shore, which sounds awesome to me, being on a shore, because I love the water and I love boats. I hope there's water and boats in heaven. But the longer I'm a disciple of Jesus, the more I know that my real home is with God. And for some reason, God has chosen to give me, he, I don't know why, but he's given me things in this world that, that the world values. He's given me a beautiful wife. He's given me two amazing sons. He's given me, uh, he's allowed me to be born in this nation with all the freedoms that we have. He's given me a college education. He's given me health care to keep me healthy and alive. He's given me food to eat and clean water, and he's given me a home to live in. I don't know why he gave me all those things, but he did. But even though he's given me all those things, you know, I'm still a citizen of God's kingdom. And I no longer set my heart on earthly things. And, and I think things and accomplishments in this world, they don't define who I am. And earthly achievements and possessions, they, they never really bring lasting fulfillment. In fact, I, I've thought about this. I think if, if God did take all of my earthly possessions and things away, I would still be a wealthy man. Because true riches are in the kingdom of God. And, and, and Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's why Jesus told his followers, he instructed his followers not to worry about this life. And not to worry about what you should eat or drink or wear. Because God knows you need those things. But you should instead seek first what? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of those things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6. Because it's only in God's kingdom that, you, that you'll really truly be fulfilled. You cannot claim dual citizenship. You can't have one foot in two kingdoms. One foot in each kingdom. Because being a citizen of God's kingdom means that you're not a citizen of this world. And the Bible tells us that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. So what kingdom are you looking for? And what are your expectations of God? I mean, do you want him to help you build your kingdom? Or are you really making his kingdom your top priority? You know, when you have the right expectations of God, you really do get a peace for your soul that you'll find nowhere else. Because when you're in God's kingdom, you don't expect your life on this earth to be easy. But you have the peace of knowing that there's something much, much better that's coming and you have to fight to keep that peace. I know I've had to fight very hard to keep that peace, especially over the last year or so. You know, I know a lot of you that know us know we've had a lot of health challenges in the Steberg family over the last year. And I just share this to give you a window into how you have to fight for your peace. <laughs> because, you know, my wife Mia, a lot of you know she had surgery last fall, pretty major surgery. And the recovery took longer than we thought it was. There were some complications in the recovery, but she was feeling better by the end of last year, just in time to come down with a nasty sinus infection. And she was taking these medicine for sinus infection, which I think made her dizzy. And at our Super Bowl party with about 30 guests there, she falls and she hits her head on the ground and got a concussion. So I take her to the emergency room and while she's in the emergency room, she has a concussion. They tell her that she also has the flu, by the way. So imagine having a sinus infection, a concussion, and the flu simultaneously. I mean, it was miserable for her. And she finally recovered from that, and then she injured her rotator cuff. And she also has on top of that some chronic health conditions, fibromyalgia, and other things that, that really give her chronic pain. So she's had a lot going on. And then if you look at my youngest son, Ethan, Ethan's had this kind of repeated respiratory illness that 
it really makes it very difficult for him to do physical activity. And if you know Ethan, he's always got a ball in his hand. He's always wanting to play basketball, football. He's running all over the place. But he hasn't been able to run, and that is like torture to him. And he had walking pneumonia in January. He missed a bunch of school for that. And then just a couple weeks ago, he had another recurrence of his respiratory issues, and he missed more school. So he's had a lot of issues. My son, Andy, basketball is his passion. He's my six foot two eighth grader. And he made this elite club basketball team for 15-year-olds, even though he's 13. But then he sprained his ankle in March, and he hasn't played basketball for two months. And his doctor told us last week that his ankle isn't healing the way that it should. And so pray for Andy. And then myself, I had the flu in January, and then I had surgery last week, minor surgery, and then I took some pain medication for that. It, I had a reaction to it. That wasn't good. Feeling better now. But then I found out that my mom and my brother have some very serious health challenges back in Iowa. So all that's probably too much information, but I'm just keeping it real. Just to set up that, this scripture, this next scripture that's become very real for me, and it's given Mia and me a lot of, a lot of peace. Because remember, we have to fight for our peace. Um, but it says in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Is that not encouraging? I mean, Peter reminds us that there are forces of evil out there that are trying to bring us down and devour us, but that we can resist those forces of evil. And we need to remember that, that when you take a stand for Jesus in your life, you just put a target on your back. You are a target for the forces of evil. But, but our suffering here is only temporary. Jesus is going to restore those who stand firm in the faith and make them strong, firm, and steadfast. That is encouraging and that brings me peace. And it's interesting to see Simeon's perspective and how it changed after he held Jesus in his arms. He praised God and said that he could now be dismissed in peace. In other words, Simeon felt that he could now die with a full heart. In Latin, that phrase is nunc dimittis. Now you can dismiss, the commentators tell me. But what is your nunc dimittis? What will dismiss you? What will allow you to leave this world in peace? You know, when you speak to someone who is looking death in the eye, and a lot of you have, somebody that's dying, you know whether they are at peace or not. I once looked death in the eye myself, believe it or not. And I know some of you have too. But I, just my background, I came to faith and I was baptized in 1999. And I remember the day I was baptized because I remember what stands out to me the most is after I came out of the waters of baptism, I had a new peace with God that I had never had before. Because for the first time in my life, I had no doubt whatsoever about where I stood with God. And I, and, I, and I understood from the Bible that I was forgiven and I would be with God in heaven one day. I knew that with certainty. And a few years later, after I became a Christian, my, my, uh, my career took me to Seattle and me and I moved there. And, and my job, I was in institutional sales, so I was flying all over the Pacific Northwest. 
And I was, every week I was on these Horizon airplanes. Alaska Airlines has a subsidiary, Horizon Air. If you've ever flown on there, they all, they're all prop planes. They're dual engine prop planes, and they're kind of those high wing prop planes, and the, the landing gear comes down out of the engine. You can actually look out the window of the plane and see the landing gear coming down. So I was on these little planes every week, so I, I had it down. And I was flying a route from Portland back to Seattle, which I did at least once a month. So we took off out of, out of Portland one day, and everything was normal, and, and we were coming in to land at SeaTac Airport in Seattle, and we were probably about, I don't know, 30 seconds from landing, when the pilot, who, who looked like he was 25 years old, he probably was, he fired the engines up, and we take off again out of Seattle. And I'm like, this is not normal, because I've flown this route in dozens of times, and, and I, I've never seen this. So we're circling around downtown Seattle in this little plane for what felt like an hour, and the pilot wasn't telling us anything. And, and it was probably really only 20 minutes, but it felt like an hour. And finally, the pilot comes on the, the PA system, and his voice is quivering, you can tell. And he's like, well, folks, I, I don't want to cause a panic. <laughs> so just aside, like, if you're a pilot, never come on the PA with that being your first words, because what are you going to do? You're going to start a panic. And there were about 40, I don't know, maybe 30 people on the plane. It just uproar, like, oh, and the, the flight attendant finally got everybody quiet down. And he says, well, we can't get our landing gear down. And I'm in touch with, the, we're going to prepare for, for an emergency landing, aka crash landing, so just, just prepare yourself. So, you know, immediately, like, time, my first reaction was panic. Time just seemed to slow down, you know. All I could think about was, I don't want to leave my wife and my three-year-old son at the time. I didn't want to leave them alone, you know, and behind. And then I started thinking, it's really going to hurt to be burned alive as we hit, on, hit, the, hit the runway. <laughs> So I had all these images in my mind, but, but I prayed. I'm like, God, uh, and, I, and I regained my sense of peace because I had no doubt. I had no doubt that I was going to be with Jesus if I was going to be burned alive on that airplane that day. So I then, once I got my own composure and my own peace, I turned to the lady next to me who was having a panic attack. She was hyperventilating, and I prayed with her and got her under control. But this, the, just the rest of the story, the plane circled over the Puget Sound. And we dumped all the fuel. Uh, and then we came in, and, and as we were coming down, the pilot somehow found a way to override the switch. And, and I looked out the window, and the, the landing gears came about halfway down. They weren't all the way down. And I'm like, I don't know if this is going to go well. But for some reason, when we hit the ground, they did hold up. And then the fire truck rushed the plane and, and got us out, and I lived. I kissed the ground. But what about you? I mean, if today were your day to die, are you really at peace with God? Are you absolutely certain that you'll be with him in heaven? You know, Simeon knew that he could die with peace because he had seen God's salvation with his own eyes. And he, even, he had even held God's salvation in his arms. And the Bible tells us that Simeon was righteous and devout. I mean, even, though, even so, I think it's important that Simeon wasn't ready to die until he saw God's Savior. Simeon had all the religious credentials, but that wasn't really what he was relying on to bring him peace. What are you relying on to bring you peace with God? I mean, do you really believe that it's going to be your own morality, your own goodness that's going to save you? I mean, or do you know that you need a Savior? That you're going to need a Savior to bring you real peace with God? And I think there's a dangerous trap that we have to steer clear of here. You may say, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm going to church. I'm here today. God knows my heart. But, but, but if you don't believe that you really need a Savior, and if you're relying on your own effort, 
and your own church going and your own good deeds to earn God's favor. Or if you're just assuming that God's going to be there for you at the end because you've been good enough and he's going to let you in at the end. You know, regardless of how you lived in this life, I don't know how you'll ever have true peace. Because after all, how will you ever really know if you've been good enough without making some huge assumptions? Simeon was righteous and devout. He went to church every Sunday. He was in the temple, I'm sure. But I think he realized that his faith needed to be in the Savior who he held in his arms, not in his own righteousness. And he trusted that this child was God's salvation in the flesh. Jesus is what brought true peace to Simeon. So if Jesus is salvation from God, how do you claim it? How do you claim this salvation? How do you enter his kingdom? Well, let's read the rest of Simeon's song. Luke, back to Luke chapter 2, verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Simeon told Mary that a sword would pierce her soul too, which implies that a sword would also pierce her son. And herein lies an important clue to the kingdom, to entering the kingdom. Simeon's song was really an echo of what Isaiah the prophet had said about Jesus approximately 750 years before he was born. And some of you know this scripture. It's in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 5, it says, But he, meaning Jesus... Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. But the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. He was punished in our place. And God placed all of our sins on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And that's why Simeon had so much peace and joy when he held Jesus in his arms. But to enter the kingdom, your own heart must be pierced. I mean, in your heart, do you feel the weight of putting the Son of God on the cross with your sins? The Son of God went to a horrific death in your place. And, and even though he was entirely innocent and you were entire guilt, entirely guilty, he died. Just let that sink in. An innocent man died in your place. You know, I, I remember when I first made that personal connection myself and what my own sin had, had done to Jesus on the cross. I remember when I made that connection I, and I just realized that I couldn't just sweep all of my drunkenness and immorality and impurity and anger and hatred. I just couldn't sweep that under the mat of being basically a good person. I remember feeling the weight of what I did to Jesus. And I remember like it was yesterday, my heart being pierced by the reality of what I had done and what it meant to Jesus on the cross. What about you? I mean, has, has, has the sword that pierced Jesus, has the sword that pierced Mary, has it also pierced your soul? Are you living in response to what Jesus did for you? Do you know what response he expects from you? I mean, here's a hint. His expectation includes faith, repentance, and baptism. Just ask Cora, she'll tell you. Study the Bible with us and we'll show you exactly what he wants. And the word of God will take away any uncertainty 
that you might have. Anybody in our church will study the Bible with you and help you with that. But just to summarize, I'm going to end with some questions to think about. I mean, first of all, reflect on what you expect from God. Are you seeking his kingdom or are you just busy building your own kingdom? Second question is, ask yourself if you're really at peace. I mean, if you were faced with death today, are you absolutely confident that you're ready to stand before a holy, almighty God? And finally, it is the piercing that brings true peace. The piercing of Jesus should pierce your own soul. Let Jesus' love cut you to the heart and motivate you to study and to obey his commands. Because the peace that transcends all understanding, it can be yours. And I'm inspired by, by the peace that so many of my heroes in the faith have demonstrated as they passed on to the next world. Because uh, their faith really proves to me that they were part of a different kingdom. They are part of a different kingdom. That this world was not their home. You know, one of my favorite uh, Bible heroes is the Apostle Paul. And I know a lot of you, he's written a lot of the New Testament. But the Apostle Paul could say at the end of his life, I love what he says in 2 Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award me on that day. I mean, Paul could die with peace because of Jesus, because he knew what was awaiting him because of Jesus. And I love that. Another hero in the faith is Scott Hachia. A lot of us know Scott. Pretty much all of us knew Scott if you've been in South Bay Church for a while. Um, he was a member of our church, a leader in our church who passed away from cancer in 2015. And, and I recently went back and listened to Scott's last communion message that he gave in 2015. And he shared in that that he did feel a lot of fear. He felt a lot of anxiety. I mean, he was going through, as you would call, a gauntlet of, of uh, surgeries and chemotherapy. And he confessed that his fear and his anxiety was keeping him awake at night. But what he did say brought him peace. The one thing that brought him peace was his relationship with God. And also his relationship with the people in God's kingdom. And Scott had some of the deepest, richest kingdom relationships of anyone I know. I mean, and that was evident when you went to his memorial service and you just saw the hundreds of people there to celebrate his life. And then one final hero I'll mention right now is Scott Green. Uh, you may not know Scott Green as well, but, but Scott uh, was a missionary. He was a church leader. Um, he and his wife, Lynn Green, they led the planning of our church in Hong Kong way back, I guess, over 30 years ago. And then they oversaw the planning of many of our underground churches in mainland China before moving back to Seattle and leading the Seattle Church of Christ while me and I were there, and then later the Berlin Church of Christ. But uh, you may have seen on Disciples Today that Scott recently died after a long battle with brain cancer. And in his last days on earth, Disciples Today provided an update about Scott and his family. And I'm just going to read a quick excerpt from, from that. It says from Disciples Today, the doctor has ordered hospice as further treatment is not an option. His, his wife Lynn asks that we share this with you all and wants you to know they are doing well. They feel it. They profoundly are grateful for the prayers and support of each of you. In closing, Lynn says, we are doing well with each other, cherishing each moment, and with God. And I have promised... Lynn said, I have promised to hold tight to Scott's hand until Jesus grabs it 
and I must let go. My friends, Jesus is there on the other side. One day he wants to grab your hand. He wants to lead you to a much better place, a place far better than anything this world could ever offer you. But you have to accept who he is and, and learn what he offers and expects and follow him and never give up, never give up until he grabs your hand. And like Simeon, you too will depart in peace because you too will have seen the salvation of God. I love you all. Hug your mother today. Hug a mother today. And enjoy the rest of the day. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.